and welcome to this week's episode of How to Breathe So You Don't Look Fat, a podcast titled after a lesson I was taught at eight years old. My name is Anna Mansell and I created this podcast to talk with regular people about the relationship they have with body, self and food, all in a desperate search to improve my own. Today's guest is my lovely mate, Matt Armstrong. He's clever and funny and sharp as a tack. Qualities displayed in a chat that saw us discussing the nature of objectification, the difference between self-confidence and self-esteem, and his Instagram search history. Spoiler alert, it's not all puppies. I love chatting to Matt, and I hope you enjoy it too. Matt, you work for a theatre company in London, which is where you live with your kind-eyed, thick-walleted husband, a brown labradoodle puppy and a cupboard, oh, cupboards full of lies. Oh, you see, I've got it wrong already. Multiple cupboards. Stuffed full of lies. (laughs) Stuffed full of lies. Uh, We met when we worked for a different theatre company in Cornwall, which is where you used to live because commuting from London would have been murder. You never usually speak or type in the third person, but you weren't sure how to fill this part of the uh, questionnaire out. Uh, so, but uh, you know, it works. It works for me. Yeah, it's very. It's kind of got. There is a, now a Donald Trump energy to the third person, <laughs> isn't there? <laughs> well, I think you just need to think about that one. Look and there at- are there are lots of similarities, <laughs> obviously, between me and Don. For the record, mm. uh, nothing, nothing like Donald Trump. Listeners, I can confirm. <laughs> That's my that if I can get through if I can get through our podcast without dropping the C bomb, <laughs> me and my mother will be delighted. Listen, no need for restrictions on my account. That's, right, you know, bring it on. So all the, the all bets are off as far Unleash as I'm the beast. Yeah. Uh, do you know what? Speaking of your mum, we should start there because um, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> this is my dark sense of humour. I was going to say, obviously, I don't have to worry about apologising to my mother because she's no longer here. Mm. <laughs> the content of any of my uh, podcasts. Sorry, mum, if you're you know, somewhere listening. But um, you did reference your mum fairly early on, just saying that you didn't want to, you're not criticising her by any of the things that you said because she's a total babe. Um, and I think it's really important to reference the fact that in any of these conversations, I think inevitably we have some, we, we go back at the environment that we grew up in and the messages that we were taught and all of those things. <clears throat> and our, uh, it, it's not, yeah, it's not our parents' fault. It's not our parents' fault. And, you know, we were brought, there was, there's so many conditions in which we were raised, you know, how we, what were the images that were presented to us through TV. Yeah. Um our parents doing their best <laughs> with what they were told by whoever, um, what school was like, what our teachers were like, what our mates were like, what their families were like, where we grew up, you know, so it's not, so all, all the kind of conditioning is not cr- a criticism. No. But it's, um, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'm sure, and I'm sure they have podcasts wherever your mum is. I'm sure <laughs> she'll be. I think delighted. Yeah. She'll be she'll delighted be. with you dropping the C bomb. <laughs> she'll be. My mother had a <laughs> filthy mouth. Don't you okay. worry about it. Perfect. <laughs> so you say you grew up in the 80s and 90s. I mean, staggering. Staggering. No, you what wouldn't think it to look at my face. I would not think it to look at your face. 
Um, but that you were all wearing T-shirts in swimming pools. I think this must have passed me by. We were not in T-shirts in swimming pools. Well, okay. So for the, so my mum um, is very sun conscious. So we, um, and I had, I have an older brother who's about 18 months older than I am and a younger one who's about six years younger. And when we went on holiday, and I remember our first holiday was to Portugal and I was in year four or five, our first like, get on a plane holiday so how old is that is that nine or ten? Four or five yeah nine or ten yeah right nine or ten and um and uh yeah we we were the kids who like in swimming pools and on beaches would have like t-shirts on so we didn't burn mm. I remember those I saw one of these hats the other day they were hats they were baseball caps by the way my family look awful in a baseball cap <laughs> Like it's one of the inheritances from I my dad. I don't think I've ever seen you in a baseball cap. Oh, oh. mate, it's so bad, honestly. And um, I get lack of height from my mum, dodgy knees from my dad. And the <laughs> other thing for my dad is not being able to wear a baseball cap. So these were like caps. And then they had like a tail. at the. Yes, I remember, remember those. I they saw... had like a UV rating on them. Yeah. <laughs> I saw one the other day and I... And there was, it was like that moment in a film where like the camera kind of zooms into like a person's face and there's like a memory from when they were young. And I think the first one I got was, I think the first one I got was from my granddad who traveled to Australia, but I don't know if they were an Australian invention, apologies, Australia. Anyway, <laughs> but we were the kids. Yeah. We wore t-shirts on the beach and, um, and we wore t-shirts and swimming pools. And was this in, in replacement of any kind of cream or in oh, addition no. to? Oh, we were we were becreamed like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> we were head to toe. Nice. White. White. Like like Casper. you used to see yeah, like you used to see cricket players, you know, when they used to kind of smear like white. Yeah. It was like on their nose. That was yeah. like us. We were like <laughs> ghosts. But you know what? I saw um a friend's husband. Um, they were in Greece and the boys went swimming. I saw the friend's husband wearing a t-shirt in the sea. Mm, right. And so I don't know. So it must, so I don't know if must be it something must, about, yeah. Is it a generational thing? Because generational thing, yeah. When I went, used to go on holiday, so I have a memory of going to Italy with my brother when I was probably a similar sort of age to you, to, to your holiday. Um, and my brother got so sunburned I mean, he was literally, he was lobster, lobster, lobster mm. pink. And he was not, he had to stay in. He was blistering. It was it, like before oh. our very eyes, he was blistering. So this is, I mean, this is 80s, 1980s. And I remember my dad and stepmom giving me some money to go to the little shop that was on site at this camp that we were at and asking me to buy some yogurt to be able to put all over his back to oh soothe. Oh, God. Which would have been fine, except they were expecting Greek natural and I came up back with peach <laughs> mango. Do you know what? I love the idea of yoghurt as well. Like, I've definitely, you know, people swear by aloe vera, but yoghurt makes it seem like you're going to eat him. I think it's, uh, I mean, I've never eaten yoghurt since. <laughs> yeah. Things are connected. Do you know what? Peach yoghurt is the only yoghurt I like, but that's a very side, that's a very sidebar issue. But um, um, I still feel like I should be almost fully closed on a beach. We, we, I won't pretend that the, that the Armstrongs are a beachy family, <laughs> even though um, my parents now live by the seaside. But, it, um, but you know, even now, and I'm in my, I'm 30, <clears throat> and, I, and I still am like, and it's not, and it's nothing to do with body shame, I don't think, or necessarily body confidence. It's mm. like, it's conditioning. And I, 
And I'm sort of amazed when I see people who are just kind of like bounding along the beach in nothingness. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, but it's really odd. But yeah, that definitely has, you know, that has kind of impacted me. And I guess it is about body confidence, actually, if we're going to be really realistic about it. Like it is, there is something where I just, you know, I, I was not showing off all I had to offer um, <laughs> until, you know, I was kind of in my, yeah, in like kind of late teens, 20s. So yeah, kind of like how comfortable you are with yourself. Yeah, I guess it did kind of affect that. Did you have any messaging at home? Was it uh, was was there any kind of you describe yourself as a chubby baby? Chubby baby. <laughs> you describe yourself as a chubby baby who looked like Humpty Dumpty. Mm. Uh, but um, it, was there any kind of messaging around food or body at home at all? Not really. I don't think so. I mean, like the, around food, it was always like if you want to eat some like dessert, you have to eat like fruit first, right? If you wanted like right. what what were those nineties? Um, they were cool things like Time Out or those yeah. like wafer, you know, those like single finger wafer shit biscuits. biscuits. They were shit. Shit biscuits. Second only to a blue ribboned. A blue ribboned. Now blue ribboned was very popular in the nineties Armstrong household. It was cheap. Exactly cheap and clubs. Clubs were more of a lunchtime. Club was a good biscuit, though, because there was a decent amount of chocolate on it. I understand. I get it. I see where you're coming from. So... I, my big issue with a club is no variety. Ah. A blue ribbon, at least you've got some wafer in there. There's some kind of, like, there's chocolatey vibes, you know. It's not... It, yeah, I don't know. We, we may have to agree to differ on this one. That's my right. nana always used to give me a blue ribbon. And I knew she'd got a fucking Kit Kat in the bottom of that biscuit barrel. She never gave me those. She's not giving. No, she's gonna. As soon as you've gone, she's she's doing that thing you used to do where you score down the foil with your yes thing. Now she's doing that, snapping it, thinking how oh, she's out the room now. But she, I, yeah, I don't think there was. I don't think there really was any much messaging around um, food. To be totally honest, like it was. Um, I think we ate. You know, I think we ate really normally and. Um, and I think probably had like an awareness that mum, like every mum in that period, was kind of doing, occasionally doing Weight Watchers. Yeah. That's just what mums did, right? Yes. <laughs> they just occasionally did Weight Watchers. It was always run by some, someone called like Sally who lived in the village. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was in like a, it was in a, I think ours was probably in like a, you know, the, like the Methodist church hall or something. It was, yeah like a, a kind of municipal space a, <laughs> and run by a woman who you'd see outside the school gates. And I'm like, so that was it. But like, I think we ate super normally. And um, and I think, you know, we like one of three kids, one of three boys, I just think my poor mum. I wonder if the messaging is different, um, um, again, because gender stereotypes are so much different back in the day as well. <clears throat> I wonder whether or not the fact that you were all boys at home, whether or not that she kept her, um, uh, you know, doing the Weight Watchers or whatever it was, whether that was just that was her thing and not really something that that mattered to you, you lot. Yeah, and I think I I, I imagine I haven't got three boys myself, um, <laughs> but I imagine that she would have been happy with us eating literally soil if we would shut the fuck up. <laughs> so um, I think she was just like just. Um, but you're right. Like, what was your what was your messaging at home? What did your? Oh, it was. I mean, it was exhausting and constant. Was it? Uh, yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, my stepmom, bless her, would cook us the most delicious roast dinner, Sunday roast dinner, when it ran at my dad's. She was a great, great cook. Uh, and then she'd sit there and eat cottage cheese on jack right. potato. Yeah. Um, and my mum was forever on some kind of diet and restricting and doing exercises to flatten her belly. It was always about her belly with mom, which is huh. ironic, uh, really. Um, but it, it was definitely, it was always about her belly. So yeah, I mean, constant, constant, constant messaging. You've said your, your relationship with food is complex. <laughs> yeah, I think it's complex. I think I, I, I genuinely, I don't, for whatever reason, I I think maybe being a chubby baby, mm-hmm. and I should say chubby baby, like not a fat kid. Like I, I wasn't, I wasn't chubby when I was like eight or nine. You know, I was yeah. like a chubby toddler. Yeah. Like a little egg, like just rolling around. <laughs> and then for whatever reason. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and for whatever reason wasn't that. And I don't know whether it's like a kind of... Um, like a memory where I was like, never be Humpty Dumpty again. Um, I think probably it was, you know, I I grew up in an all boy. I, I didn't grow up at an all boys school. I did have a home. <laughs> uh, I went to a, I went to an all boys school. Yeah. Um, for secondary school, uh, which was a grammar school in Kent. You know, one of the last great bastions of <laughs> <laughs> gender split um, schooling and. Uh, and I think probably, and also, you know, when I was 13, 14, realised that I fancied boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's probably the right age. And um, and I think you just kind of compare yourself a lot when, you, when you're growing up as a gay kid or a bi kid or a queer kid right. um, with those bodies around you. And I think gay men have very complicated relationships or, you know, queer men have very complicated relationships with their bodies, especially like cis Queer men, yeah, and but and other men's bodies as well because um, you don't know whether you want to look like them or have sex with them. <laughs> and there's probably a and there's a and there's probably quite a lot of <laughs> overlap on that, right? And um and you know I went and th- when I say it was an all boys school, it was a really all boys school. Like I remember once one of our we just played rugby in the winter and we played cricket in the summer. And we didn't like him play football. Remember once a PT just saying football was for puffs, and I was like, maybe I like football. <laughs> I didn't. I don't. Sounds like I don't. <clears throat> but you know, it was it was it was a very kind of competitive environment. Yeah. And it was a very straight environment, uh, and it was a very sporty environment. And I wasn't a very sporty kid, and I wasn't a very straight kid, and I was a very competitive kid, but with none of the resources or talents that you require to succeed in any kind of competition. Yeah. So I think it was. I think it was that. I think it was kind of all boys school, and it was, you know, constantly comparing, constantly competing. Yeah. And did you did you find at that point that you started? Um, did it reflect at home that complexity of your relationship with food? Did it was it something that you took back home, or was it did it evolve more at the point where you, I don't know, moved out and started cooking your own meals or not? <laughs> yeah, or not? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I think it was yeah. When I you know when I left home and I went to uni, right? I, th- I think it was it was then really. And when I say I've got a complex relationship with food, I think probably lots. You know, I think most people I know have to be totally honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, 
I was never one for breakfast, so I'd, ne- I'd never eat breakfast. Um, and I still don't really eat breakfast. Mm. And I've, um, and in my head, I've gone, that's because it makes me sluggish. But I mean, who knows if that's actually true? Yeah. Um, and I will like restrict at lunch and then I'll basically go bananas at dinner. <laughs> I do remember you would slow cook a, like a massive joint of pork. Yeah, whilst eat. you you whilst you were at work and then just just binge the lot just eat all the pork yeah ah times yeah. they be not a changing but it's <laughs> um so yeah I think it was that you know when you're given a bit more freedom to to do as you want and um and that's probably and I would say that if, if it's not an unhealthy relationship with food it's definitely an odd relationship with food and my you know and friends when we're organizing a night out will say to me are you eating at the moment mm. because it's sort of a long-running joke that I like to take my carbohydrates in um <laughs> liquid so I, I I would prefer wine than bread yeah and um I mean if I had to choose between the two then uh, yeah absolutely um well, our lord and savior Jesus was doing both but yeah no I mean I'll do both I'm I'm all right with it it's fine he wasn't in 2020 um <laughs> but it's, so yeah so I but you know friends will kind of say are you eating at the moment and I think they mean it jokingly but I think it is also an acknowledgement that I, I have, for whatever reason, you know, I do have that thing where I, I probably don't eat properly a lot yeah. of the time. It's not that I eat unhealthily when I do eat necessarily. You know, now that I'm in my 30s, I have made friends with broccoli. <laughs> well uh, done. Good boy. But like, but yeah, but I would say it's definitely, I definitely limit the things that I eat. And there are lots of things that I would want to eat, but I stop myself doing that. Right. Okay. I mean, I, I I do I recognise the the living on your own and and finding that easy to do. I mean, I I left home when I was seventeen, right. and being able to control what I ate. I, I mean, I would go from extremes. So I would I, I would do the restriction, 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 and then I would I'd make a roast dinner, and we lived near um uh <laughs> we lived near a KFC. Oh, great. So I would make a roast dinner at home and then I'd go to KFC to buy the gravy (laughs) (laughs) and add that to my roast dinner when I got home. Well, hang on. We're not looking. Are you looking for sponsorship? I don't think you are, but (laughs) but it's but it's honest of us to say that KFC (laughs) gravy is is the bomb. It's the greatest gravy. I mean, if I I mean, I don't eat meat anymore, do I? But you know, it is one of the things that I miss. I mean, it, you know, it's made out of arseholes, so it's it's not ideal. <laughs> and that and that is why it's delicious, Anna. <laughs> um, why? Um, so you've been be- you're v- vegan? Well, more often than not, I'm not <laughs> a fundamentalist about any of it, but I, I tend not to eat. Uh, I don't eat meat, and I tend not to eat dairy if I can help it. But yeah, I'm not fundamentalist. If an egg slips in, you're okay. Like you're not going to beat yourself up about. Whoops! There goes the egg. <laughs> Um, why do you think you I mean I know where you live and there is there are like circumstances around where you live that would encourage any person to be vegan but do you think which you can maybe mention but like do you think it was that do you or do you think there was something else that ran alongside it no I mean I think for me um uh, I mean I, I live on a dairy farm which actually um they're bloody lovely here and they do look after the cows and the land and they work hard and I have 
complete respect for them. But I had got to a point already before moving here where I just didn't like the idea of... So actually, it's a completely selfish reason because I didn't like the idea of the stress that was going into the bodies of the animals that we were eating and then we were consuming effectively their stress. And I kind of think I've got enough of my own. I don't need theirs as well. (laughs) So there was something about that from a spiritual point of view of not wanting to absorb any more stress and, you know, bad hormones than than necessary. Um, And then, yeah, you know, I don't like the idea of I don't like the idea of the stress that the animals go through in order to produce stuff for us to be able to consume it. Mm-hmm. But I respect other people's right to to do what the fuck they like. It's got nothing to do with me. I just make my own choices. But I mean, in terms of like restricting food or, or relationship to food and everything, shifting when you move out and you're on your own. I remember that it was then was the first time I started binging. So I restricted. I I was anorexic from being about 14 to probably about till about 17, actually. Mm -hmm. And then I shifted. And whilst I was still restricting food, I would then binge and purge. And I never did that before that point. But being in the house on my own, I was living on my own by the time I was 18. I could do whatever the hell I liked. Yeah, yeah. And every time I've lived on my own, I have always lost quite considerable amounts of weight because I've not had to think about anybody else. I can just do whatever I want with food. Obviously, now I've got to feed everybody in the house. It's awesome. Yeah, really. <laughs> I also think there's, um, the, you know, when you're on your own as well and, you're, and, you're ju- and you've just moved in on your own, there is a period of time when you exist on booze and also fags. Yeah. Isn't there? Like. <sighs> I mean, those are the days. I've got a bit of envy, to be honest. No. Well, you talking about being a person of extremes hits me. You know, I'm a person of extremes. I remember when I was growing up, we had this VHS, for younger listeners, a VHS, um, (laughs) a VHS, and it was of the, like, a Sooty show. Do you remember Sooty? Sooty and Sweep and Sue. And Sue was scampy. Noxious cow, wasn't she? Yeah, she was really judgy. Um, I do have a, I do have Sooty and Sweep actually somewhere around here, <laughs> boys. Um, <laughs> special guest appearance. But there was a song in this in this Sooty video, and Matthew was the name of Sooty's. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to say handler. <laughs> I think handler. Yeah, pu- puppeteer maybe. Puppeteer. Sorry. <laughs> I'm actually on the board of a puppetry school as well, and I use the word handler. Do you know what, though? To be fair, puppeteers have the weirdest relationship with their puppets. Right. Well, I think Matthew and Sooty were very intimate. But um, <laughs> but there was this song in which Matthew and, well, not Sooty because he was a mute, wasn't he? He couldn't speak. <laughs> but um, they were singing about the, it was a song called Eat in Moderation. Wow. I know. I remember this profoundly. I can't remember anything else about Sooty. And, um, and that's just comes with like a lightning bolt and I think oh god maybe it was anyway so that was and I am not a person who can eat in moderation I can't do anything in moderation when we first knew each other both of us were smoking right yes I'm sorry does Andy know that you were yeah I assume it's fine now well don't you remember don't you remember because he found cigarettes in my bag when I was at work and rang me and asked me if I'd started smoking <laughs> you were like I, I nearly lied and then realized I was I don't know, late 30s at the time. Oh, no, mid 30s, I'd have been. Uh, I, I could admit to it. So, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I am, um, but I, when I was smoking, you know, when I first started smoking properly when I left home, I smoked 30 a day and. Um, Lightweight. I know, yeah, sorry. <laughs> you see, but that's because. You see, you were compromised by uh, by the standards then. When I first left school and went to work, you could smoke at your desk. So I would be on, I don't know, 
40 or 50 Marlboro Lights a day. I mean, this is back in the, the mid-90s, late 90s. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah, I would love... I, I mean, I was smoking Richmond Super Kings as well in 2004. <laughs> oh, Christ. I mean, we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't dwell too much on mm. cigarettes because we could be very... It's triggering for me. Chris, could I... Very, very triggering. cigarette, but... But yeah, yeah. I, had, I, had to give, I had to give up smoking because I can't... It's, in the words of Cher, baby, it's all or nothing now. And, um, you know, every January, I find it quite easy to do dry January and I've given up booze you know for kind of like months at a time um and i think there is also that kind of element of control over food and i yeah. think food is like the, but food seems to be like the one place in which i can control it in which i'm not a person of extremes although i've probably described some relatively extreme behavior but like i, I feel like i've got a lid on that but I, it's definitely an odd and i would say quite intense relationship yeah. with any kind of consumption actually in my life but yeah, yeah. It's funny, you, you said on there that um, if you could give up food, you're pretty sure you would. And I, I so concur with that. I wish sometimes that I, as much as I love food and I love making food for people and sitting down and eating with people, sometimes it's just so bloody stressful. I just wish I could just have a tablet and not have to think about it. Yeah, but also you're responsible, which is the thing that we'll talk about, but you're responsible for littler people. Yeah. And and what they put into their bodies as well. And that is kind of a burden that I don't have. But like sometimes I'm just so bored by like my body's relentless <laughs> need. hunger. Yeah, need so for it. bloody needy. So needy. And I do, like you, think of why can't we live in the future where it's like one tablet? Yeah. You're like done. Get on with the day. Crack on with the day. Don't have to think about it. I mean, and that's, you know, nowadays you have stuff like Huel, right? Which is this yeah. kind of... I think it's a portmanteau of human fuel. I mean, what a really grim <laughs> portmanteau, but it sounds like something from kind of a dystopia. But um, uh, but I, you know, I there are in dry January, for example, I'll do like two weeks of of of, of eating no solids, but having like fuel three times a day. Jesus Christ! I mean, it's wild, isn't it? Yeah. And I mean, it's just, it can't it can't be good, can it? It can't be good for you. Well, they, yeah, I mean, that's what we think, don't we, psychologically and emotionally. Yeah. They, these companies will say it contains all the vitamins and nutrients and things you need. And I guess what isn't contained in the ingredients list, though, is joy. Like, there is yeah. zero joy in it. Yeah. Um, uh, and I do, and I do think the only reason I wouldn't give up food is because I like eating with people. I like going out to nice restaurants with yeah. mates and I... And all of that. But otherwise, I think I'd probably kind of knock it on the head, if I'm totally honest. I think joys are really, I think that's a really pertinent sort of thing to say, really, because for so long, there was no joy for me in food. It was just pure stress. And finding joy in it um, is... Is life changing for a lot of people? I think. I mean, genuinely, mm. as as ridiculous as that might sound, I just think that there comes a point with your relationship with food where actually, yeah, you do need to find that joy back because it says it's so much more than just something to fuel your body. It's it's community and it's connection and all of those other things. So you um, you then talked about. Uh, when you started dating or maybe not when you started dating but mm. you were dating in your early 20s mm. 
um, and that <laughs> a boy mm. you were about to date... Mm, very euphemistic, that. Very yeah. euphemistic. Said that he liked your muffin top. Yeah, and you know what got me, Anna? What got me about that is, um, is I was in my early 20s and I was under 10 stone, not that weight is important. No. Except it's important to the story because... If there was if there was a muffin top, as I said to you, it's a muffin top where it's like bran and like flaxseed, like cranberry. Like nobody wants to eat the muffin top. It wasn't. It was nothing that you want on a muffin. It's yeah. Very skinny, skinny muffin top. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I and it was really interesting because it did um, because we did not end up dating. And uh, and I think when I think about it now, it was that it was that person. I think, and I really shouldn't say this on behalf of others, but I, the way I've kind of processed it is, processed it, is that person who I don't think was very comfortable with their body. Mm. <clears throat> and I think, you know, often the case is that we dislike in other people what we dislike in ourselves, right? And I think yeah. we kind of project a lot of that, and I think we can project that, that those relationships, those physical relationships, those relationships with our body, I think we can project that onto other people too. Mm-hmm. Um and it and it was yeah and I and I think it was that. But the other memory that I remember about like somebody saying something about my bod my body was when I was you know under ten and I have um, my dad is one of seven, <clears throat> and so I don't know which auntie it was because um, there are you know four <laughs> many, of, many, so many many aunties. But um, <clears throat> one of them saying I was pigeon chested and I had no idea what that means. And what's remarkable is that now. I have some very heavy weights that I use specifically mm-hmm. to be pigeon-chested, essentially, <laughs> to look like a to look like a Dorito. <laughs> That's what I want. Yeah. And I and it's um. So I was like, but I do remember them saying that, and I just was like, hey, what an incredibly odd expression. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that kind of stuck with me. Well, um, I was always told told that I had childbearing hips. That is such a thing, isn't it? Oh, Jesus. I mean, from a tiny, tiny age, you know, I mean, probably nine or ten people started saying that to me. Why did they say it? Why? Is it because because you're a child yourself? Like, is is it because they thought it was a nice way of saying you're big-hipped? I mean, there is no nice way to say, to comment on somebody's body, uh, you know, in terms of the size of their hips or anything else, is there? Do they think that you felt, I mean... It's such, it's, it's such a thing that like a kind of um, weird uncle would say though, isn't it? But it's, mm. do you think they felt that you were uncomfortable with it and therefore they were expressing it in a way that was not about like weight, but was about kind of like biology rather than... Yeah. Maybe, maybe. Think? I don't know. I mean, uh, I hadn't thought about it that way. I mean, my the, the the feminist in me now says, well, is that all that they thought that should be positive in my life is the prospect of having children? Right. Um, but I don't know, maybe. I, it was just, it's a weird thing. I mean, the thing for me is that it meant that they were looking at me. Yeah. And I didn't want people looking at me. I have never wanted people looking at me. I have always felt scrutinised when they do. And nobody needs a, a little person does not need anybody telling them anything about their body. No. Do they at all? And I think it's such an odd but it does mm. that does feel like a kind of cliche that people would say 
you know, childbearing hips. Yeah, but you know, I still hear it now. You'd think in 2020 that um, we would know enough about the impact of commenting on people's bodies to stop looking at little girls, particularly at their stomachs, and prodding their stomachs and going, oh, put that away. Or nobody wants to see that. Fuck off. Weird. But I I think people are becoming more aware, you know, it's still a generational thing, isn't it? But kind of like people in their twenties and thirties, I think, are becoming more aware of, of of how you interact with little people yeah. and the things you say and also the things you do. Like I will not now, like I don't hug my friends' kids. Yeah. Um. I'll, I or I'll say like, "Should we high five? Or yeah. I'll be like, "Shall we hug? Yeah. You know, there's a kind of consent thing and yeah. like and telling, giving unsolicited advice or comments to anyone yeah i think i am hoping we're getting to a point where people go you don't you don't do that i hope so i mean i think the consent thing is massive obviously my kids are brought up in an age where where the older generation so my aunties and uncles and you know parents friends and parents friends Friends, hmm. parents, whichever yeah. way that well, is. But maybe both. Yeah, absolutely. But where, you know, some of them would still go, come here, give us a hug. No, come yeah. on, give us a hug. No, come on, give us a hug. And I have from them being very small, I always said, if they don't want to hug you, they don't have to hug you. Yeah. You know, it, it, that to me, I'm slightly militant about it uh, and make no apologies either. If that makes that person who's wanting to give them a hug feel uncomfortable, tough shit. Yeah, not your thing. No, absolutely. But uh, yeah, I think there is a lot about... Um, uh consent and and unsolicited comment that we still it is better but there's still work to be done <clears throat> what do you remember somebody saying about apart from so obviously childbearing hips still yeah. such a profoundly creepy thing to say to an actual child yeah um what were the and was that was that from like family friends and was that from like or uncles or aunts or those kind of like tangential like familial relationships or tangential familial relationships I mean all kinds of people have said that to me from people that I know um, I'm not going to name check anybody but from people that I know that are you know close to family or in family right through to I remember so back in when I was in my early 20s I used to do I used to act in murder mystery parties yeah you did (laughs) (laughs) of course you did which is a whole other podcast Ah, Uh, but I remember one particular um one that we did where I was pretending to be somebody's it was long story but I was pretending to be somebody's girlfriend it was a murder mystery thing it was a surprise for uh some of the guests that were at the party other guests at the party knew about it and the one of the people who's the part the surprise was for was like a granddad of the family and he across the table to me, a complete and utter stranger who was p- pretending to be his grandson's new girlfriend was like, hey, she's got childbearing hips. Wow. So, yeah, so there was there's, there's several moments where that's happened. But, I mean, loads of stuff, loads of stuff from being, um, you know, I, I don't know how many times I'll end up saying this, but the whole conversation around a woman in my family teaching me how to breathe so I didn't look fat Somebody at uh, Friends when I was eight, nine years old, realising that my body shape was changing and going and being disgusted by the fact that I was getting a waist and boobs. Right. Um, Random people telling me I was fat, 
just completely out of the blue just you know one lad on his bmx bike cycling past me calling me a fat cow wow that's very with now don't i it's absolutely um so you know all of those things and then um the number of people over the years who thought i was pregnant when i wasn't wow amazing <laughs> so amazing i mean it is like a bbc it's like a it's early day bbc three comedy isn't it like draw my seat on the bus thing but like yeah yeah i mean it's wild did any uh, what's obvious though is that like no one has ever felt good from comments from unsolicited comments about their body no no not at all do you know the other day we were talking over um the instagram and we were talking because i've been re-watching all four lethal weapon films yes um because um obviously i do not have a kind-eyed thick-walleted husband (laughs) i I have um I'm quite fat... relieved because if I hadn't have been invited to that wedding I would have been <sighs> furious. Oh god, I yeah, live it. And I you would have been right to be furious. <laughs> um so um and during lockdown um I have been watching some utter shite on Now TV and one and some of that utter shite is Lethal Weapon. And um in Lethal Weapon uh Mel Gibson uh Mel Gibson by the way don't condone fancying um, present day Mel Gibson seems no. like a scumbag, certainly yeah. an anti Semite. Um, and uh, but woof, Mel Gibson, nineteen eighty four, nineteen eighty six. Yeah, he was, he was hot little biscuit. And you said that Harrison Ford in Star Wars was a hot little biscuit, and they were hot little biscuits. Yes. Um, and like those people who were like around the same time, like Schwarzenegger or Stallone. Not neither of which. I mean, I love Stallone. I right. love Stallone and my heart beats heavy for, for Stallone, but but neither are Hot Little Biscuits. Neither are Hot Little Biscuits. And let's be honest, they were like freaks, weren't they? Like when you looked at what men looked like, men did not look like Jean-Claude Van Damme, Sylvester <laughs> Stallone or Arnold Schwarzenegger. They were like the outliers. Mm-hmm. And what's amazing to me now when we were having that conversation is the pe- the boys that people fancy now, the men, sorry, that people fancy now, are all like Marvel heroes, aren't they? And they're and they're all like hyper developed, right? Um, like extraordinary shoulders, like eight packs. I mean, think about Chris Pratt, right? Chris Pratt in Parks and Recreation yeah. plays a kind of bumbling, kind of like tubby, um, not even tubby, bumbling average guy, wildly attractive. Can't put your finger on it. Yeah, <clears throat> and then. He's never got more press than when he went into Guardians of Galaxy, Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, a mm-hmm. Marvel film. Basically, stopped eating or just ate chicken breast and broccoli like twelve times a day. Yeah, <laughs> got kind of ripped, um, and you know, and that, and people think that's like the most evolved version of Chris Pratt, and and yeah, boys are looking at these. Boys aren't going to Star Wars and looking at Harrison Ford, who was a normal-looking guy wildly attractive in the face obviously but yeah. but like normal looking body shape you're not like unobtainable yeah. Yeah. um and now boys are looking at like chris pratt and and um chris evans or whoever else in it being like wow that's what blokes look like and as those films predominate more and more dominate more and more you like the messaging that little people are receiving is that they have to look like that and, and there's you know but, you know, we've been getting that messaging for decades. Yeah. Women have been getting that message for decades. And I'm not saying that that makes it OK by any stretch. But it's like like you pointed out, if somebody if if 
Barbie was made transformed into a real life person, Barbie would just fall over. She'd fall over. She's completely. It it doesn't work anatomically. It does not work. But but Barbie and Cindy is 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 the messaging that we got as yeah. as kids. Um, I mean, we had Action Man, but even like late nineteen eighties version of how ripped a dude could be. Yeah. Transformed into a doll is nothing compared to the things you see in films now. Like, Action Man looks like a wimp compared to Captain America. Yeah. Um, and there's this really... I was re-watching some of the Marvel films because, again, do not have a husband. Um, <laughs> but if you would like to be a husband, um, please uh, slide into my DM. This is a general call-out. This is not... General he's not propositioning me at this point. No, no, no. I, I cannot do the husband job, unfortunately. You can't, uh, you can't. Yeah, so. Just... Anybody out there? So um, anybody out there? But there's this scene in Captain America where Chris Evans, also very attractive in the face, mm. um, he plays a skinny, wimpy kid, and he goes into a machine as this like incredibly thin, incredibly short, mm-hmm. like gaunt bloke, and and comes out of a machine mm. like hyper pumped. Mm-hmm. And what you're saying is in that film. And sure, it was like, you know, it's based on a comic book that was written, you know, decades before, blah, blah, blah. But what you're saying in that film is, if you look like that kid, you can't be a hero. Yeah. In, well, and, Superman was the same, wasn't he? Superman. Yeah. You can't be, you've got to, like, you've, you've got to be over, there has to be something that's incredibly muscle-bound now about you. And yeah, sure, the serum that Captain America is injected with does give him super strength as well. But, <laughs> and he does have a shield. He does have a shield. It's made of vibranium. But, but you're saying you... He, you couldn't do those things if you were that size, yeah. and I and I can't imagine. You're right; it's happened for women for decades and decades and decades, and it's so noticeable now for guys. And I think that, and that does permeate the culture. You have when you look at, um, I'm going to say kids on Towie, but I guess they are kids, really. Aren't they? They're in like twenties. Mm. Wow, how old am I? I'm an old man. <laughs> um, kids in their twenties on Towie that permeates the culture, and you have. And it's that kind of gym obsession yeah. thing. And you and and in gay culture you have this idea of I heard it the other day called Cosmos um what do they call it? Cosmoceuticals. No, cos anyway, it's a it's a it's a combination of cosmetics and um and plastic surgery. And I've forgotten right. how they combine it. But basically there are there are now these things you get where you can have like pec implants, right? Yeah. And bicep implants yeah and, and you can transform your face so much that, that you don't look like you anymore you don't look like you anymore and you only look like a person if it's also combined with a, with a whole load of contouring or yeah. you know in the kind of gay community but you know that's you would never have dreamt up in the 70s the idea of a peck implant no like would we you we were on hoverboard for the 2020s <laughs> right. we weren't talking about peck implants we were talking about hovering the shit out of everywhere that's what we want it is what we want. That's what we want. I'm going to go back. If I ever do a, Mar- a, a Michael J. Fox and go yeah. back to 1985 or whatever, I'm going to be like, don't fuck about with these pecky implants. I'll do like a worldwide statement, yeah, take over all the, and be like, sort out the bloody hoverboard. Yeah, yeah. And also those shoes that Nike did release or whatever they were, they do up themselves. Sort yeah. them out. <laughs> That's what we want in life. But, you know, it's a really, it's a really profound thing. And you do, yeah, and I just think it... It has really permeated, and and I and I'm as much of a victim of that, I think, as 
a 10 year old watching those films mm. and if we look at my instagram search tab let's do <laughs> that now we, should we look at we it should. it's okay it's clean <laughs> you're in a safe space matt don't worry mum i mean there are pu- there are pup there are the occasional puppy outlier but otherwise <laughs> it's it's not puppies it's not puppies it's boys it's enormous sized people yeah aren't they and that's all the way down all all of it is that yeah yeah you know and that and those and and that is something which is based on what I look at and what I and what I like and so obviously it is doing it's going to do some it's it's continued to do I think pretty significant psychological damage whether that man however that manifests but imagine as body dysmorphia right yeah absolutely I mean the thing that I find that I struggle with with all of this and um you know I'm not immune to it because I have I will absolutely objectify people like Jason Momoa, for example. One hundred percent, he's there to be objectified. <laughs> Sorry, Jason Momoa. I know you're listening. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you know, I, I feel really conflicted about the difference between um, uh, 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 the whole thing around objectification because I do not want to be objectified. I do not want to be looked at and seen only as an attractive thing in a physical. Th- form i want people to be drawn to me because uh I, you know i make them laugh or they think i'm smart or you know all of those sort of much more holistic and i absolutely that is i do not want to be objectified the moment that it happens and it has happened i mean not hugely but on the rare occasion when it has happened it has left me feeling incredibly vulnerable right and incredibly um and actually it triggers me so there was one particular occasion so when I first when you and I first met I was bigger and then I lost quite a bit of weight um and the attention that I got from some people in our work environment or um you know people dads from school down here was suddenly completely different and I remember one dad from school giving, looking me up and down and saying to me, how have I not noticed you before? Oh, man. Uh, uh, and I, I reckon I can pretty much pinpoint the moment where I started to overeat again to that moment because that le- I was so uncomfortable with him looking at me in that way. Do you think it's, I mean, <clears throat> do you think it's any attention, though? Do you think it's attention whether it's wanted or not do you i mean do you do you feel like it that impacts the decisions you make because all of a sudden you feel out of control and you feel like you're not doing it for yourself and other people are kind of you think there's something it could be i mean i think i think generally any attention around my body is triggering for me yeah i think um and i've only you know i've only sort of I think we, we, we band about the PTSD thing quite a lot these days and I don't want to just throw it away needlessly because I think it's real and it's something to be respected. But I genuinely think I have PTSD in relation yeah. to my body. I think that's... that's, And I think that it's situations like that are, are very triggering for me. And... Um, and my response to it then is to to either to to self medicate in some form, and so that will either be restrict or binge, and mm-hmm. you know whichever way it is. Um, yeah, maybe it doesn't matter whether I'm they're looking at me because they find me attractive or whether they're looking at me because they think I'm a big fat pig. I it's just, once you become once you be, once you become not 
property, but like something which is it, it, yeah. noticed by yeah. other people rather I'm than being yourself. Rather yeah. than a human being. And I mean, that was probably partly not helped by a lot of the relationships I had when I was a teenager, you know, boyfriends from very early on. Um, those sorts of relationships, they they were obviously you're 15, 16, 17. They're going to be incredibly physical anyway. That's what happens. But they were, for me, incredibly damaging because it it became all about the fact that somebody, a boyfriend, wanted to have sex with me more times than I wanted to have sex with him, and it was mm. my fault because I was so attractive or whatever. Wow. You yeah. know. Anyway, yeah, I just any kind of objectification, I find I find that deeply, deeply uncomfortable. Yeah, so, and I think you know, but now it's, it's interesting what you said about um, wanting people to like you for qualities rather than being viewed as an object, right? So, like, but I think as you get, I mean, it's it's a kind of truism, but I do think it's true-ish that as you get older, the things you find attractive really are not. Yeah, those muscle Mary boys, the things you really find attractive. It's not sustainable attraction. No, it's very fleeting. I mean, you know, I reckon it probably wouldn't take me long to be irritated by Jason Momoa acting like a big kid. Yeah, unless he's funny and kind, <laughs> then it would be like, oh, we have to lock this down, Jason. Yeah. But, you know, that's the things that you, I, I, and that has definitely been for me. Like I. Uh, I I genuinely sound like a huge cliche, but like, do people treat? I sound like like guardian blind dates now, but do people treat like the waiters nicely? Yeah, that is so much more attractive to me than biceps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, you said something interesting in the questions as well that I wanted to pick up on, which was self confidence isn't the same as self esteem. That was a throwaway, wasn't it? It was. It was a throwaway, and I wondered if you had any further to add to that. Um, <laughs> I, well, I, I don't even know if this is right, and I don't even know these are definitions. What do I know? I only have a master's in English, <laughs> and um, so uh, it's a really good way of wasting six grand. In case anyone's wondering, <laughs> just if you just yeah. want to put life off for just another year. I thought geography was what people did when they just wanted to toss it off for a few years. Oh, no, master's in English. Right. Yeah. Right. Specialise in Shakespeare as well. That will really get you through. Yeah. That will help you loads. Will it? Um, so honestly, but follow your passions. So, um, <laughs> but but I do think there's something different in those two, isn't there? Like for me, self confidence. You know, the job I I have where I work in theatre, and I guess the kind of people's perception of me um, is as a very confident person. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say I'm charming or outgoing, but I'm. But I will say that there is like a the, the way I present myself is is as somebody who's who feels self assured. Yeah, you can say charming and outgoing because you are both of those things. It's allowed. Yes. Um, or at least that's a kind of what I want to project. So I mean, occasionally the, obnoxious as well. You ah, know, real turds. Swings and roundabouts. <laughs> roundabouts. But like, but you know. Um, I guess that's a, those are the kind of things I'm going for when I present myself, okay? Yeah. And that and um, and self-esteem for me is like actually what it's how you feel about yourself inside that isn't a projection, right? Yeah. So like, so I would say I have really high self-confidence and actually probably pretty low self-esteem. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, that's down to loads of. Th- 
things that aren't necessarily about body actually but you know it's um but it's about living on your own and I've chosen to live on my own yeah that's great but there are moments when you switch on and you're that public person yeah and you're self-confident and you um you know you're doing your best to kind of hold court or whatever expression you want to use yes and then you go home and you're by yourself yeah and I, I and I I you know you hear actors talk about it a little bit of that kind of like higher performing on stage and it takes you a long time to come down or the realization that the applause um which could be like how people interact with you in, in my situation the applause of an actor you know that's not what your life is like and yeah. reconciling those two things could be quite hard hard and I think I think I would present myself as relatively body confident mm-hmm. but really um probably pretty racked by quite a lot of feelings of not of not feeling attractive or not on or in the kind of gay especially in the cis like I said cis white kind of gay man community mm-hmm. of which I have been a part you know not not fit in a kind of stereotype not being muscly enough or not being thin enough yeah. not being tall enough or and um and I do think all those things have kind of infect have infected me and and it and it doesn't it doesn't manifest itself in my life really yeah but it's a kind of distinction I think that's worth making even you know people who project this kind of content that doesn't always mean that they are that and it's certainly not the case for me yeah I think it's really that I think that's really true um I've had over this last couple of weeks I started posting stuff to my Instagram and to people who just follow me and who are on the periphery of my uh, of my life or you know who aren't necessarily friends maybe they're just more acquaintances or just people complete strangers that just happen to follow me uh on social media have been surprised by uh some of the stuff I put up I don't imagine you were particularly surprised I'm sure there's plenty of other people that I know pretty well that wouldn't have been surprised by it but I am definitely somebody who can present as confident Mm -hmm. um and who people then don't realize what the reality is and i mean it's only recently that i think i realized that i don't know what the right term for it is now but that i am um an introvert that can can perform as an extrovert yeah 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 i'm much happier on my own (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i sort of um too i'm actually the word i did that myers-briggs personality test oh did you um, a while back and I am the same personality type as all the bad presidents um, <laughs> Donald Trump's ruined his head I again actually think, I actually think I am the same personality type as Donald J Trump but like none of the good ones I'm not I was I was one I was one flip off being Michelle Obama and I was like oh, oh god um, aren't we all <laughs> aren't we all but there is something about that you know there is something about presentation and um, and I had thought that I would be an introvert because of how I how I feel about myself but my that self-confidence is so extruded that I think over time I've actually become I think I've actually become an an extrovert in how I in how in in my kind of preferred behaviors yeah it's really do you not find it exhausting though I mean I find it really really tiring if I go out and 
um I, I don't want to say perform because that implies it's not me it is or right. it is still a version of me it is you know i'm not pretending to be anything anybody that i'm not as well, you dial up a bit yeah. of you don't you yeah you dial up a notch or two yeah, yeah. absolutely but it, but i find it wears me out and i, I get home and I, I, sometimes andy will say to me oh you know tell me about such and such and why aren't you talking to me about it? it's like because I'm, I'm a bit tired actually yeah. And people and I think like my really close friends would recognize the bit of me that does that dialing up and yeah. you know spinal tapping it to 11 <laughs> and um that that's not me that actually I need like you I need the time to not be with people yeah just recharge um, recharge yeah it's a really my, yeah it's a really confusing <laughs> for me because I do think I am in it introvert but then when I'm with people and and I am being people always say I'm loud I'm always so surprised that I'm loud and obviously you're gonna have to dial my voice down on this just be like he's just gonna break a speaker but people say I'm loud and I'm always so surprised by it because that's not how I think of myself but yeah anyway Mm, I don't know I think it's all all of that is fascinating stuff and um I don't know I don't know where you I don't know where you can go from from it I think the older I've got, the more self-aware, um, and I think that makes a big difference in mm. what you're able to to do, how you're able to behave. I think also recognizing that I'm an empath makes a difference because I will I will try and make up for if other people, if I recognize in a situation that other people are feeling uncomfortable or aren't quite sure, then I will I'll act up in order to try and make them feel better mm-hmm. in an environment in a situation, and and you know that's it's not my responsibility to take responsibility for other people but it but it happens yeah and I and a bit like you I um like I have friends like one of my friends Rowan always says like you'll make friends wherever you go like that's just like your mode and I think it's I think which I don't think is necessarily true having lived in (laughs) Cornwall (laughs) For four years in my early 20s being like where are they um but there is something about like you I want people to have the when they spend time with me I want them to have enjoyed that time and yeah. sometimes actually and I know this this isn't this is kind of off topic on our I'm talking about body but certainly about self like sometimes I sacrifice how I would want to behave yeah or how I prefer to behave so that I feel like I can give a person <laughs> a good time. Full, the full Matt Armstrong experience, like poor buggers, like the full headlight glare, like the obnoxiousness of it all must be exhausting for them. It's definitely exhausting for me. Yeah, yeah there is something where you, I feel like I have to do that, even yeah. though they haven't asked for it. No, and it's not that- what I want. No, but then that's that comes back to self-esteem, doesn't it? You know, there's probably something in there about um, that confidence to that you'll be liked and accepted for who you are without needing to perform for it as well. Yeah, and there was this great thing I saw on Instagram. I get all of my stuff from Instagram people, <laughs> um, the Guardian on Instagram, uh, and there's this great thing on Instagram. I saw posted for a few mates' stories, and it's on the side of us of a skyscraper, and it said. Um, you don't have to be liked by everybody. You don't like everybody. Mm-hmm. And I just think, ah. But, you know, a lot of us are kind of, we have that in us to want to be liked by everybody. You do. Well, Matthew, 
I like you. I love you and adore you. You're sweet. I always have been nice. I've always had good fun times around you. And um, yeah, I don't really think you're obnoxious. Oh, no, there's definitely a streak of that. No more than I am capable of being. Oh, we're all humans, babe. <laughs> we're all humans. There's, yeah, you know, I think it comes with the territory. Yeah. Thank you for talking to me. I really appreciate it. And um, I could talk to you all day. No, but there's gin to be drunk, isn't there? there? Is I've, I've had a very good time. This has been fun. It has been fun. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I love Matt. He makes me laugh. And it was so lovely to talk about more than just boys, gin and our former colleagues. Anyway, if you'd like to enjoy more of his observations on life, I can highly recommend his Instagram, uh, which is at M underscore W underscore Armstrong. There are handier handles, but that's the one he's going for. Uh, If you've got any thoughts on today's chat, feel free to tag me on Twitter or Instagram at howtobreathesoyoudontlookfat or you can email me at howtobreathepodcast at gmail.com. Next week, we talk with writer Froshy Evans. We explore therapy, what food restriction can really look like and the night she actually fell a little bit in love with herself. If you can, please do like, rate and subscribe to the podcast. I'd be extremely grateful, not least because it helps more people find us and I'd love to get these chats out to as many people as possible. Thank you to everybody who's listened so far. You really have made my dreams come true. I know that might sound a little bit uh, uh, over-enthusiastic, but genuinely, I'm really chuffed at the response that we've had so far. So for now... It's thanks to Mike Hall for editing and music. Thanks to my guest Matt for being so funny and clever. And thank you very much for your time. See you next week. Oh.